0: Ta falava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, I'm Susana Suisuiki, e ake
1: uh, Ragatahi are the ones that are going to be facing the problems of today that we're discussing right now in politics.
0: Pacific and Māori students say they're being set up to fail over a lack of civic education.
2: Also, I don't really have the inclination to be running around tables and waiting upon people.
0: A hotel on the Cook Islands rumoured to be cursed is almost open for business. And later, I speak with a medical student who's looking into the impacts of rheumatic fever. Some Pacific and Maori school leavers are concerned they're being failed by a lack of civic education in New Zealand. There's a number of students and youth workers who feel ill-equipped. Ahead of the election, many are first-time voters. RNZ Pacific put the question to the New Zealand Electoral Commission, who said the responsibility lies with schools and the Ministry of Education. Alicia Foon has more.
3: There are over 80,000 Pacific students with the New Zealand school system. However, that number may vary, with dozens of Pacifica students having to leave school prematurely to enter the workforce to financially support their families due to COVID-19 impacts and pressures under the rising cost of living. Denita Youth Worker at Te Hauwara Whanau Services, Sid Ford, believes 18 to 24-year-olds are the most underserved and neglected age group within Aotearoa. She says they deserve more support before entering the workforce and voting for the first time.
1: I think we'd have to address the education around civics and the lack thereof education around civics in the schooling system. I don't think there's any one particular course in schools. I certainly can't remember it from my time at school. So I think it would start with using spaces like Generation Vote who are non-for-profits it's set up by students most often um, who are keen to get in there and educate schools, educate teachers on that space but it also takes the weight off teachers because they do enough.
3: RNZ Pacific put the question to New Zealand's governing body in charge of setting up the nation's elections. Civic education is not the Electoral Commission's responsibility, that's what you're saying. Yes. Who is responsible then? Who does that responsibility fall on? It would sit
4: with, uh, with the schools, the educators, the boards and uh, the Ministry of Education because they design the curriculum. We provide information during the general election to create awareness of the election.
3: Anousha Gula, Deputy Chief Executive of the New Zealand Electoral Commission, says it's ultimately up to schools to develop their own local curriculum. She says what they do provide are resources in a range of Pacific languages to help equip community leaders and teachers. An example of this was providing schools with tools to run a mock election where students get to vote for their preferred party and candidate.
4: That would see about 115,000 school students
3: participating in kids voting and it's a great way for students of all ages and ethnicities to learn about our electoral system. Despite the promising initiative, only 30% of schools across New Zealand have signed up this year to take part. The Ministry of Education gave a response through a statement saying it's up to individual schools to decide how civics education is covered in that resources are readily available. Due to New Zealand's current setup of its national curriculum, the ministry says the responsibility of civic education ultimately falls back on schools. It means teachers are expected to educate future generations about the voting and political system, on top of dozens of other school subjects. Ford said it shouldn't be on teachers to do this, in that youth advisors and educators who specialise in civics should be employed to teach in schools in the lead-up to elections.
1: Our rangatahi are the ones that are going to be facing the problems of today that we're discussing right now in politics and trying to set the rhetoric for moving forward and how are we meant to set the rhetoric moving forward if we don't include everyone who it affects. Kids who have fallen out of the education system or have been let down by it more particularly, are the least involved in that space and have least access to getting knowledge about that. She
3: says it's vital to have more targeted and compulsory civics education in schools, considering the voting age may be lowered from 18 to 16 years old.
1: A lot of the mahi I do is teaching them the basics of tax, like the PAYE system. They don't understand how that works, they don't understand why they pay tax, they don't know what ACC levies are, but this is the sort of thing. You've got 16-year-olds that I'm working with who aren't entitled the right to vote, they have to learn how to work within their systems and a tax like they're given the right to vote, but they're not. So I think maybe looking at that problem, it 16, would be a good start as well. That's where we'd get a lot more influence and buy-in from our young people in terms of the voting space. Right up until 18, they have to ask to go to the toilet. But at 16, they can get taxed and pay ACC levies. So I don't know, seems a bit confusing at times for them as to where they get to sit, hey?
3: The New Zealand election is now less than a month away and people are being encouraged to make sure they're enrolled to vote on October 14.
0: A major political party within the pro-independence FLNKS grouping in New Caledonia has backtracked on its initial acknowledgement of a draft document proposed by Paris for determining the future status of the French Territory. The decision by the Caledonian Union, or UC, to reserve judgement later this year is yet another spanner in the works for France, which has been trying to forge a new path for New Caledonia after three consecutive no-votes to independence in referenda conducted in 2018, 2020 and 2021. Paris has struggled to get engagement from pro-independence parties because Indigenous Canucks boycotted the third referendum held in 2021 and refused to recognise its outcome. Several pro-French politicians have since said UC's latest change of heart only isolated the party within the political spectrum because other pro-independence FLNKS components have recently reassured they will take part in a fresh round of talks with the French Minister next month. Koroi Hawkins spoke with Patrick DeCloyter on RNZ's French Pacific desk about the complex situation.
5: Uh, Yes, Koroi, the meeting uh, actually took place uh, earlier this month in Paris. And it was uh, significant in the sense that uh, those opposing parties in New Caledonia, those who are pro independence and those who are pro French, uh, hadn't been talking to each other or been sitting at the same table for nearly two years uh, after the outcomes of the third referendum uh, of uh, self determination for New Caledonia. And that was in. December 2021, and ever since, it's been very difficult to put all these uh, parties together at the same table at the same time, and that's probably one of the main achievements of that meeting that took place in Paris with France, hosted by France, um, because for the first time, they actually accepted to to speak together and uh, talk uh, in a way. Uh, in Paris uh, for the first time. So that's one achievement. And Paris had the sort of obligation to uh, carry on the talks after those referendums. That's under the provisions of the NUMIA Accord uh, because in actual fact, uh, it was acting on one special provision of that accord, which uh, uh, is a bit tricky because it leaves a lot of place to interpretation. But the... um, accord in the text actually says that uh, after three responses no to independence the parties still have to meet in order uh, to examine what is being described as the situation that has been generated after those three uh referendums so that's what uh, paris was trying to do And in the past few months, the French Minister of uh, Home Affairs and also in charge of overseas, Gérald Damana, I think he'd been traveling about four times to New Caledonia to try to get this to happen. The the desired uh, all-round meeting uh, took place. And um, obviously, this is the back of President Macron's visit and his big speech in, in Numea as well. What what was, what was, were the outcomes from this meeting? And I should backtrack a bit and say, was, was the entire FLNKS grouping represented? There'd been some divisions before on engagement as well. Okay. So apart from getting everyone at the same table, um, what happened during those, uh, I think, four or five days, it took the whole week from Monday to Friday, uh, uh, two weeks ago, Different sessions. One with uh, The final one was actually with the president. Uh, and there was also a meeting with the prime minister, uh, uh, Elizabeth Bourne. But most of the other meetings were actually with uh, Damana. And uh, what happened there is that he, he took the initiative uh, because he said, you know, no one else was actually uh, suggesting anything. So he said, I've got a five page document here. He actually called it himself a martyr document, uh, which means uh, this document is just a working document. Um, it is it is actually doomed to be uh, slaughtered uh, by amendments from all sides. Uh, but that's what he put on the table. So at that time, by the end of that week, uh, it looked like, well, everyone was sort of happy with that because they say now we've got a basis. We've got something to, to, to work on. Uh, obviously, the pro-French parties in New Caledonia were very happy. Uh, and the pro-independence parties uh, who have been gathered under the umbrella of uh, FLNKS uh, uh, reacted uh, in Paris to say, yes, we, we, we can work with that document. We'll, if you want us to slaughter it, we're going to slaughter it. We're going to bring those amendments that you're actually inviting from us because we've got a lot. And so since the meeting was held, some of the outcomes uh, came to light. What what have been the reactions in New Caledonia? Well, like I said before, the immediate reactions were overall uh, favourable or uh, at least not hostile. But uh, at the end of last week, uh, one of the major components of the FLNKS, which is the uh, Union Caledonian, the UC, has actually said, uh, well, um, on the second thoughts, we're not going to take part in the discussions that future discussions that are going to take place, uh, we believe, uh, mid-October, because that's when the French minister wants to travel again to New Caledonia, We will not uh, take part in that. Uh, We believe the documents that has been uh, uh, submitted by the French minister is uh, not acceptable. Uh, They're actually going as far as saying it's not serious. Um, And uh, they said they probably maybe resume uh, some participation after their own Congress of UC which is uh, supposed to happen sometime in uh, mid-November. Obviously, that's after the, the French minister wants to visit uh, New Caledonia.
0: The old abandoned Sheraton Hotel in Rarotonga is being done up and should have its first guest arriving in November. The hotel in Waimanga almost bankrupted the Cook Islands, It has a past of failed revivals, rumours of Italian mafia involvement and folklore. Developer Christopher Vale says the full renovation of the property will take 10 years to complete, but the first block with 41 rooms is only a couple of months away, which includes a new swimming pool. Mr Vale says he got talked into doing the project from his lawyer on behalf of the landowner and Paramount Chief Paariki. He spoke with Caleb Fotheringham in one of the almost finished units.
6: You said you got approached by the lawyer and in a fit of madness you decided to work on this place. What was the main driver? I mean, there must have been something under there that made you want uh, to do it.
2: Pa and my late wife are closely related. Her lawyer and my lawyer are the same lawyer. He's been her lawyer for 30 odd years. He's been my lawyer for a bit longer than that. And it was something that had to be done. Other people had tried and failed. I had a lot of roading machinery and staff so that we could utilise it. We've put a ring road round because the, the cars eventually or traffic eventually will not use the main road but they'll go round the ring road at the back. And it was something that we, should we say, thought that we could do and someone had to do it.
6: I used to live here as I told you before and when you talk to a few locals they would say it's better to just tear the whole place down and start from scratch. You obviously don't agree with that.
2: This is all on a floating foundation because this used to be a, a massive taro swamp. There's massive steel beams that hold this place together. They wasted $120 million on it and to be frank it could be saved but It would never be a five-star hotel and it would not work in with the, the rest of the hotels anyway. It would actually be a drain financially on the community because of the fact that it wouldn't pay because of the staffing that you'd need. So we don't plan to run it like it was originally planned. We have a different concept. So we'll sell off apartments and we'll run it as well as accommodation. We will have some um, restaurants here, but we won't run those ourselves. We'll put it out to people who know how to run restaurants. And I, at my age, I'm 75, I don't really have the inclination to be running around tables and waiting on people who have had a slightly too much to drink.
6: Did you come up with this vision yourself?
2: I spoke with Timmy Arnold on the matter, who is my lawyer, and um, he probably played on my ego, because he didn't think that anyone else would be silly enough to do it. I had the machinery. We're doing this with our own capital. We haven't gone to the banks. So um, I'm not beholden to anyone.
6: Where are we at at the moment with the project?
2: We said that we would do block C first, which was 41 units, and we thought we'd get that done in a year. We've, We've gone over that. We've got another few more months to finish that. The tennis courts... We have to finish at the same time. We've put in the power plant and we're finishing off with the solar. Air conditioning has arrived, which will go in. We are not going to use power from the grid, so it will be solar, our own generators and a pumped hydro. The pumped hydro, we've got all the plant here. We're waiting on the tanks to arrive. They will go up at about 70 to 80 metres and we will then rely upon generation of our own power, which will be about 140 kilowatts, to run this block. The rest of it will be, need more power and we have our own generators and we bring our own fuel in. But we will be starting the block A, which is 80, early next year. We have all the materials here for that, bought and paid for, and we will attempt to get that done in a year where this is probably a year and nine months, but it was in very bad condition. It was a a film set. It was a facade which really was not done to operate.
6: Before you said there was going to be some apartments, it's going to be a mixture of accommodation. Is that apartments for the locals or just for anybody? For
2: anybody. But we're doing it where if people want to change the decor... They can do so because if people are having something to live in themselves, they have different tastes. So the colour scheme, they'll be able to change. We're spending quite a bit of money on the bathrooms, some of them for the, which we won't be selling. We've simply refurbished the bathrooms, but we've put all new bathrooms in the ones that we plan to sell.
6: Is the plan to do something with the whole place? Yes, it is. When do you think everything will potentially be completed? I
2: have a 10-year time frame to have it all completed. We're closing on two years. We've cleaned up the grounds. We've put the road around the back, the ring road. We've bought all the equipment for the pumped hydro, which we will start very quickly, which means that we will be self-reliant as far as water and electricity is concerned. Because basically, you could be spending $100,000 a month just on electricity here. And we'll probably be only spending about 10 or 12.
6: What's the response been from the community?
2: They all were somewhat cynical because there's so many people that have tried before. And that's why we've kept very quiet about it because proof is in the eating of the pudding. You can talk about baking the cake. But if the baked cake doesn't rise, then you look foolish. So I decided that we would go ahead and do Block C and get the the power on, get the sewerage on, etc., and then say to people, "Look, we've gone and done it."
0: A Samoan medical student in Christchurch, New Zealand, has recites on improving the country's healthcare system by researching rheumatic fever and its impacts in the Canterbury region. Talia Sua understands and knows the harsh reality of rheumatic fever, having witnessed a relative contract of disease, resulting in intensive ongoing drug treatment and surgery. In order to fulfil the requirements of her honours degree, Talia will spend a year reviewing a decade's worth of clinical data and speak with families to gain a perspective on healthcare. She joins me on Pacific Waves. My Lord Talia, tell us more about your research.
4: Um, so the rheumatic fever project kind of um, it fell into my lap a little bit. Um, I wasn't really anticipating taking um, time off to do some research. I was always a little bit interested in it, um, and you know understood the importance going through medical school. But um, uh, Kiki Muate, Dr. Kiki Moate, who's our um, kind of looks after our specific medical students. Um, came, we meet regularly um, and he said that there was a project um, kind of up for grabs. where he wanted one of us students to um, pursue some research in the paediatric department and that really interested me um, and then I found out later that um, there was a project in rheumatic fever um, and so um, after talking with my family um, I, you know I kind of chose to, to take up the opportunity um, and I thought it was, I was just really thankful that um, uh, like a project that's um, quite meaningful to me um, in that my, uh, my auntie had rheumatic fever um, and it's, you know, something that um, occurs in our Pacific, is quite prevalent in our Pacific community, um, and still a real issue. Um, I felt really privileged to be able to um, have an opportunity to, um, you know, learn more about it and try and um, and uh, be involved in some research to help um, hopefully make a difference in that area.
0: What's the current state of healthcare like for rheumatic fever patients in Canterbury?
4: Um, so, patients, it's quite a, um, a lengthy process. So, um, for people who um, have an episode of rheumatic fever, um, they Have to have um, long term antibiotic treatment. And so this is for a minimum of um, 10 years. But I suppose my study is just looking into um, how it presents in Canterbury. And we're finding that it kind of presents, it's quite consistent in the way it presents that it affects, you know, still like Pacific and Māori children. Um, you know, typically affecting the the heart and the joint. Because you're wanting
0: to address inequities in healthcare, right, in Canterbury? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, what are some of the things that you've noticed that that's not serving rheumatic fever patients in Canterbury?
4: I think because there is, we do have smaller numbers down here in um, the Canterbury region. Um, it's it's probably not thought of as much as what it could could be thought of. Um, You know, in terms of some clinicians might not think of it straight away um, because it's not, um, or it's not emphasised here as being an issue, Um, even though we still have Pacific and a a Pacific Māori population that it still occurs in down here. Um, But because yeah, we don't have those same numbers up north, there's not the same emphasis put on rheumatic fever here.
0: Do you agree that rheumatic fever is an emerging threat to children in New Zealand when case numbers have been so high for a long time too in areas such as South Auckland?
4: Oh, absolutely. It's um well it's it's a massive um you know threat to um an issue in children's health and it has been for a while and you know despite our efforts to try and um, improve things it still seems to be um a real issue and um, we haven't really managed to have any kind of sustained um, significant improvements in in health. When you
0: get to the finish line of your research what are you hoping you'll achieve from it?
4: So the kind of goal of my research is to see um, how rheumatic fever is affecting our families in Christchurch and how um, they've found um, engaging with health services here um, and then looking into, um, you know, by by kind of asking them and having that kind of colour about um, how it's affected them, hopefully um, being able to come out with ways that we can change the way we actually care for them, whether there um, are things that we can do differently or things that are good that we can, um, you know, put a greater emphasis on. Um, but, yeah, I think the ultimate... Um, aim of of my study is to try and find a way um that like try and find out how we can do better for our families with rheumatic fever here that's pacific ways
0: for today don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs we're also on apple spotify and iheart radio podcasts. from myself and the rnz pacific team till fast away